if you want to come and shut my business down, you're going to have to shut me down. And if you're not ready to fucking face me, then don't come to my business. And if that means that I have a fucking shootout with somebody over my own property and my own business and my customers that are choosing to be there under their own free will, if you want to try and shut that down, then come and try and shut me down. And I'm going to have a very similar approach to the mask thing. If, if law enforcement officers come to me and say, hey, you need to put your mask on. I'm going to say, listen, I have no issue with you. I have an issue with the order that you're trying to enforce. Yeah. But you don't have the right to enforce it. And that's the end of this conversation. That's the end of it. Hi, friend. Thank you for watching. This is an interview with Greg Anderson, who is a former Army Ranger and a member of law enforcement who recently became nationally famous for posting a viral video from his cop car. So Greg, if you could let us know more about yourself and about that video, um, that would be great. Okay, well, I don't know if I would consider myself famous, but thank okay. you. <laughs> um, yeah, how far back do you want me to go? Like, I grew up right around here. We're in Washington. Yeah, we're in Washington. I grew we're up. at my house, too. Probably <laughs> 20 minutes north of here in Washington. And went into the military right out of high school, like a lot of young men do, just because I didn't have any direction. I didn't know what I wanted to do with myself. It wasn't like some patriotic calling that I felt like a desire to serve my country. It was more out of just being lost. And so, and this was pre-9-11, too. So back then, there wasn't any combat going on. And I just thought, you know what, if I'm going to go in the military, I might as well try and go as hard as I can for those four years. And I don't really know what encouraged me to do that. It was just kind of a spur of the moment thing. I was like, you know what, if I'm going in, I should be a Navy SEAL or a Ranger or something. I think those are the two things everybody thinks about because of the movies and books and whatnot. Yeah. And uh, yeah, ended up going into the Ranger Regiment and did four years with them. And then I got out and did contracting for the next five years. Mm -hmm. And for people that don't know what that is, it's government contracts that needed security inside of Iraq and Afghanistan. So it actually wasn't much different than being in the military. Constant deployments and gunfights and all that stuff. It's just a, a different version of it. And then, just like we talked about earlier before we started recording, my wife got pregnant with our first daughter. This was 2009. And she was like, we got to put this lifestyle behind us. And at that point, that's what I was like, you know what, what can I do that keeps me back home, but still has that kind of like camaraderie, that excitement, the kind of things that you have in the military and the contracting world. And I thought law enforcement would be a good fit for that. So I, I went down that career path and I worked for a couple different agencies, both in Los Angeles, California, and then up in Seattle. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until, and I enjoyed that career. I mean, don't get me wrong, anything you do, has pros and cons to it. And I could focus on all the negative aspects of law enforcement. We could talk about that for five hours. But overall, it was a good career. Most of the people I worked with, I enjoyed. And I really didn't have anything negative to say about my agency or the profession until the whole COVID thing started kicking off. And, and once I started seeing my coworkers, and not necessarily coworkers from my agency, but just police officers around the nation doing these things to people that I didn't think were moral or ethical, that I didn't personally agree with, I started seeing it more and more and more. And then I was like, you know what? At some point, it has to come from within the community. Someone within law enforcement has to raise their hand and be like, hey guys, 
That's not what our oath is about. That's not what we're sworn to defend. That's not even in our job scope, really. We, I feel like law enforcement was being manipulated to implement these governmental orders that is outside of the scope of what we're allowed to do. Our title is law enforcement officers. It's not executive order officers. Mm-hmm. Laws have to be yes. legislated. There's a process that has to go through before law becomes a law and is on the books. And when I arrest somebody, I literally have to, there's a form that you take to jail and I have to write RCW, blah, 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 like whatever law they violated in order to book or cite that person. So when I started seeing all of these officers, I mean, we all saw it, people getting cuffed at parks, people getting handcuffed and arrested on beaches for going surfing, people getting arrested for playing catch with their kids, like all of these things, like, how is this even acceptable? Because it's not acceptable. And here's the interesting part about it. I started talking to cops about it. And I have cop friends, both from people that I serve with the military, cops down in LA. I have friends all over the country. And we were talking. I said, what do you think of this? 100% of them, 100% of them said, this is, this is asinine. This is not what we do. This is not who we are. We feel like we're being used as henchmen. We feel like this is pitting the public against us. All the things that I ended up talking about was shared by every single cop that I talked to. And so I was like, well, what are we, how do we voice that opinion? Because right now the public's starting to lose trust in us. The public's starting to look at us as the enemy. Mm -hmm. But person to person, man to man, most police officers are pretty good people. And most police officers stand behind the same values that the most citizens follow. And so that's what implored me to make that video. And uh, yeah, the proof is in the pudding because the video got shared like over a million times. Thankfully. It's, it's been viewed like, I mean, I don't even know where to begin. One share alone got 15 million views. 15 million. 15 million. That's 15 million. That's one good news. Share. Yeah, that's one that's share. That's good news. Yeah. And then I had people writing me, hey, I saw you on Twitter. I saw you on YouTube. All these, these uh, social media outlets that I don't even have. I don't even have a YouTube. I don't even have a Twitter. So it was just ripped and shared and copied and shared. And uh, again, like we were talking about earlier, people from all over the world, not even just the, the nation, the yeah. world started hitting me up. It's so was, surreal. It was. It was crazy. Because, I mean, just a normal guy, you know, middle just class. Just being brave. Middle class. I have three kids. I own a small business. Like, nothing special about me. But I was the guy that had, everybody says it's courage. I don't think it's courage. I think it was an obligation. Because I had a message that was shared by all of my coworkers and the people that share my profession. And someone needed to put it out there. And so I... I just sat in my patrol car, held my phone in front of my face, and it wasn't like this big rehearsed thing. I didn't think about it. It It's just like we're doing now. It was organic Mm -hmm. because there were so many things that you could see were starting to pull this country in a bad direction that it just needed, these these things needed to be addressed. So I addressed them, and uh, yeah, the response was just overwhelming. It was insane. And my phone number, because I'm a small business owner, is public. And so when people started doing their internet research, oh, like Greg Anderson, oh, he owns this jujitsu academy. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's his, there's his email, there's his phone number, and oh. uh, calls yep. and text messages 24 7 for the next like three or four weeks. Wow. Like I wouldn't, it got to the point where I wouldn't answer my phone if I didn't recognize the number. 
I wouldn't either. In fact, I don't have my information out there for a reason, but I'm not nearly as well known as you. So that is thankful. Um, kind of. <laughs> well, I mean, the, we want people to see this video. We want we want people to at least know about this channel so that the video is seen. And if you see this video and you like it, please share it because we have every reason to believe that YouTube may be deranking this channel. So definitely share. And the, the interesting thing about that is 99% of the people that reached out to us were supportive. And they were saying, like, thank you for sharing the message. Like, we're, we support everything you're doing. If you need help, if, like, a lot of people supportive. And then there was 1%, and I don't know what rating your channel is. I can drop any F-bombs or anything. I don't care. <laughs> if you can... So there was 1% of people that just took it as an opportunity to attack us. Yeah, of course they would. Yeah. You stupid fucker. Like, you're, you're the problem. You're not... You're not letting the governor's orders like have the validity that they need, and all these things that were like these people were just falling in place with what the governors and what the mayors are saying. Yeah. And and I'm sure we'll get into this about the the whole COVID thing. I'm I if you listen to my message, no part of my message was saying COVID isn't real, COVID isn't a dangerous disease, stay home, stay safe, like all of these things. If that's if you do your research and you look into it and you come to this conclusion, then then that's your right. My whole point was the government doesn't get to start l ruling with an iron fist because they just, because one man decided to. That's not how this nation works. That's not how our, our, our legal system is structured. And so that's when I was like, I was very careful to say that. Because I knew if I started talking against COVID as a disease, the message would lose validity mm -hmm. because there are a lot of people that died from it. Right. And there's a lot of people whose parents were sick with it. And who am I to say, you know, take away from the seriousness of that? And so, and to this day, I, I won't say that. I, I mean, I have my opinions on it, but I just don't, I think the American people should have the emotional intelligence to be able to decide. It's a lot to ask, man. Yeah, I know. It's a lot And to I know ask. it is. But I do think that on a big picture, the American people are being painted with a broad brush as being idiots and incompetent. And I bet that it's not as true as most people may believe. I agree with that. And I wanted, I think that it's up to people to decide what works for their own safety and their family safety, as opposed to big government, just one man or one woman making these arbitrary decisions of what you can and what you can't do. And we started seeing things that really started to raise red flags right out of the gates. And I'll tell you what they were for me. Please. The governor's office decided who was essential and who was non-essential. That is very dystopian future, doesn't, doesn't that sound? <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know? So you got one entity that's deciding who's important and who's not. That in itself is kind of like, it, it just makes you cringe, right? But then when you started Expendables. seeing people are expendable. Yeah. Then when you that. started seeing who was essential versus non-essential, I don't care if you're right or left, what your politics are or what your beliefs on COVID are, it was crystal clear that anybody that padded the government's pockets was deemed essential. These large corporations, they were all essential. Um, alcohol, liquor stores, marijuana shops, and don't Confuse. I'm pro drug. Like you want to do you. Like I have more of a libertarian view. You want to use they drugs. Don't. You use drugs, right? Yeah. 
But I mean, why? I don't even drink, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm like... And I don't either. <laughs> like, I don't fine, drink. do it. But Just my point is, do as a drive. human being, you do what you need to do as long as it's not endangering other people, right? Right. But why Why would, uh, like, my daughters love doing crafts? That's a big part of my family. They like painting. They like working with clay. Those stores were all closed. The craft stores were closed down. They couldn't go to Michael's and get canvases to paint on. But you can go to the marijuana shop to get high. So why, why would that be essential? Well, it's because they're taxed at 50%. Liquor stores are taxed at 50%. Um, and I remember I was sitting in my patrol car one day. I was like, what other things would be, would money be going directly to the government? I said, I wonder if, I wonder if licensing, ta- auto licensing stores are essential. And I just called one. I said, and they're like, hello. I was like, okay, yeah, I need, I need tabs for my car. I was just curious if you guys were deemed essential or not. And they said, yeah, the governor's office deemed us essential. Okay, so so it, construction that was on a government contract was essential. Mm-hmm. Private construction, not non-essential. How can you have a, a reasonable conversation and not like see that this is dirty? So once once I started seeing, okay, there's one of two things happening here. If it's so dangerous that I can't go to the craft store or I might kill somebody to get my daughters a new canvas to paint on. If it's so dangerous, I can't do that. But getting new tabs, a little sticker that goes on the back of my car because you guys get $500 from me, that is okay. We still want you to do that. Still go get that little sticker on your car and give us your 600 bucks. One of two things is happening. Either A, they're lying to us about how dangerous this is, or B, it is this dangerous and they don't give a shit about your safety if it brings revenue to them. Because if it's such a dangerous disease, everything has to be locked down except the little sticker that goes on the back of your car. And think about it. Think about how an auto licensing place, everybody's been to them. They're miserable. You stand in line and it takes two hours. I didn't do it when I was supposed to because they refused to be open and they wanted me to pay anyway. And I'm like, I want to change my license plate. I don't want to pay you for another uh, year of vanity. I have a vanity plate. (laughs) And they're like, yeah, well, you have to come in to do that. And I'm like, well, are you guys open? No. I'm like, well, what do we do here? Well, you just pay. I'm like, no. Well, which one wasn't open? Was um, it, like... it was just like the main like local Washington DOL, and so I just waited months, and now now they're open, and um, I have the option to go in and do it. I just I haven't done it yet, but uh-huh. I, I will, maybe. Well, and I don't. I know a lot of auto licensing places are privately owned, like whatever. They're privately owned, but they're. They're part of a government process. Oh, yeah. I, I now have contacts for those types of entities. But when I originally tried to sort this out, they were like, yeah, we're not open, but we still want you to pay. Even though we can't help you change your license plate. I was just like, I'm not going to pay you for another year. But don't get me. I mean, that's not that interesting. This is more interesting. Uh-huh. So, um, but no, <laughs> so you just saw over and over and over that if it made the government money or it behooved them through completing their construction projects or their, you know, their infrastructure that they deemed important, anything they deemed important was good. What about what's important for my family? What your family, we have small children, we have mortgages, like, and and, and this is one thing that pissed me off is like, I was starting to get mad about this because I was like, I'm a martial artist and I'm in that community, right? I know all the surrounding gym owners and they got hit hard. 
And there's no money in martial arts to start with. But my point is the people that own gyms, most of them are doing it because they're passionate about that. They're not in it for the money. And they don't have some savings account with $500,000 in it just in case the gym gets shut down. It's month to month. And so a lot of people in my community started to really be affected, affected. And we're talking about having to close their businesses and no longer be able to coach and all these things that like, this is their life's work. And I was starting to get frustrated and all my coworkers are like, why do you care so much? You're a cop, dude. Your job's secure. Like you got nothing to worry about. And I was like, oh, so because, because I personally don't have anything to worry about, fuck all those people. I feel the same way. We don't live in Seattle, which is where all the mayhem is, but we're not far off. And I feel like like the contagion there, which we can get into later, which I, I can I perceive as the violent riots, if it if it gets out of hand there, it will spread out. Now they'd be really stupid to come into the burbs where everyone has guns, but we can get into that later. Please do. But yes, I mean so I feel the same way. If people are eroding the integrity of part of our system it's gonna spread if they go after this other guy that you don't like and you're like oh yay it's not me guess what you're next that's exactly right and that's what i used to tell people i'm like over here over there like what's the difference and so i went and talked to my chief and my sergeant yeah and i said i want to understand all of the rules and the details and all the little nuances of these executive orders and what I'm going to be expected to do as a police officer, because I'm seeing it nationwide. And if it comes and if we're asked to do these things, I want to know exactly how we have the legal authority to do that. And I want it to be explained in detail. Like, how are we going to book people on things? How are we going to cite people? How'd this go? Well, my chief and my sergeant are great. We're good people. And both of them said the same thing. They said, we're not going to enforce this stuff. Good. Because he can't. We're not going to. Yeah, I mean, they can't. We're not they interested can't. in that, Greg. That's yeah. not what this department stands for. And I was like, it was like, oh, what a relief, right? Because that told me that I'm not personally going to be asked to go up to someone and say, put your mask on your face when I don't have the legal authority to do that. Once I realized like, okay, maybe it's not personally going to be something that I'm going to have to face as an officer. Every time I turn on the TV, every time I look through Instagram, you're seeing a cop taking somebody down for not wearing a mask, yarding someone off a bus, not wearing a mask, uh, the, the, the surfers, all, all the same stuff, right? And I was like, okay, I know I'm not being asked to do that as an individual, but I'm still a cop. I still wear a badge that symbolizes something. The American people look at cops as a whole, as a profession. And so now if I just sit idly by and watch all these cops doing things that I personally feel are infringements on people's liberties, people's freedoms, I'm almost condoning it. That's almost being part of the problem. Yeah. And so I said, I have to speak out against it. And I, again, I had I had a lot of coworkers that are like, Greg, our department's not doing all that shit. Why are you so bothered by it? So why am I so bothered by it? You're still gonna be held responsible. Because American people's liberties are being trampled. That's one reason why I'm bothered by it. I mean, I deployed 14 times. Like I understand what it means to put your safety on the back burner and put the mission before yourself. Like that is what is going on here. We as officers need to put the American people's freedoms and liberties before our own personal checkbooks or our own personal beliefs just because we don't want to ruffle feathers and we don't want to cause any issues. And, and, and most cops, just like most American citizens, they're, they're trapped, they're slaves. 
because they have debt over their heads, they have their mortgage, mm-hmm. and they're like, I can't just say fuck you to the system and walk away because then how am I going to feed my kids? And so everyone was afraid to do the right thing. And my wife knows that I'm crazy. Like she's been with me for a long time and she's like, you're not, you're not going to back down on this. Are you? As I'm not, I can't, you know, we're very proud of you. And, um, and I, I think, um, when, when you, when you reject money or security, because something is more important than that. Like, it will take care of itself. You don't see how it will take care of itself, but if you do the right thing, somehow it's going to work out. And we have to trust that and we have to be brave. So you... um, (laughs) You made this video and your your department was behind you. And then... So, yeah. and What happened? So we got notified the next day. So I posted it at like 4 p.m. And it started getting some traction, nothing crazy, you know? And I woke up the next day and I'd got a message from one of the commanders that's like, that was a real powerful message, Greg. We stand behind you, 100%. And I was like, oh, cool. Work's down with this. And then I got a call from work three hours later because I was off duty that day. And me and my, my wife, Jenny, were driving around. They said, hey, Greg, we just saw your video crested 400,000 views. It's time to pull the plug on this thing. That's exactly what they said verbatim. It's time to pull the plug Who on this thing. Who told you this? It was one of our commanders. And, and he told me this too. And I like the guy. I've always had a lot of respect for him. I said, what do you mean it's time to pull the plug? I said, a couple hours ago it was a powerful message. And if it's getting traction, that's a good thing, right? And he goes, Greg, I've been directed to tell you it has to come down. And to this day, I've never got a clear answer on what that means. Where was that directed from? And, uh, yeah, you know, and so I started talking to different chiefs and different sergeants and stuff and no one could really give me a clear answer. And so they decided that it was a social media violation. They said it violated our social media code. That's why it has to come down. And I said, I'm no fucking dummy. Okay. Half of our departments on social media all the time. And you've never had an issue with it until today. So it's, it's crystal clear to me that it's about the message. It's not the fact that I was on social media. And if you guys can just shoot me straight, like if you want to fire me over, fire me over. Tell, shoot me straight though. Say, hey, Greg, you did this and we were told that it had to come down and you refused and now you're going to be terminated. And it wasn't until I talked to the, the chief of police, he said, Greg, I agree with 95% of your message, but you implored people to stand up against the governors and the mayors and that can't be allowed. I was like, oh no. Yeah, oh no, you can't stand up against your governor. You know what? We're it, supposed to. We're the people. We're supposed to challenge those in power. The basically. government, we don't work for the government. The yeah. government works for us. Yeah. And when I'm told I can't challenge a governor, like, <laughs> I can't, I, you can't, I, I think it was verbatim, you can't speak out against your governor. And first of all, I didn't speak out against my governor. I didn't say anything specific to Jay Inslee. I said, do not follow executive orders from mayors or governors that infringe on people's constitutional rights. That's not really up for debate, you know? Like, there's not two sides to this. This country is based on our constitution and officers are sworn to uphold and defend that. But you see where the pendulum's swinging. The pendulum's swinging, taking the power away from the people and the government just wants to snatch it all up. So as soon as you got a guy like me saying, Hey, you need to challenge your government on this stuff. Get, get rid of that guy. Get rid of that guy quick. Shut him up. You yeah. know, that's what it was. What did you do? In regards to... You 
you did not take the video down? Of course not. That's no. Why. So I told yeah, I told I told my department this. I said, listen, you're putting me in a bad place here, and this is why. My video, the whole culture of it, the whole purpose of it, what I was imploring people to do is stand up for what's right and go to bat for their beliefs, even if it does cost you your job, even if it does cost you your profession. You would have looked like a hypocrite if you backed That's what I down. Said. I said, that was the point of my message is standing up for what's right. Mm -hmm. And I said, and now you're telling me I have to pull my message down because somebody in some office didn't like it. I said, if I rescind my words, mm. I'm going to look like a jackass. I'm never, I'm going to lose credibility with everybody I know. And fuck the, the internet. Fuck Instagram. All those people that I enjoy interaction with them, but they're not my real inner circle of people. My real inner circle of people is my jiu-jitsu team, my family, my community. Those are the people that I would have lost credibility with. Hey, remember when Greg told everybody to like take a stand? And then when they smacked him, he just tucked tail and ran. Like, I said, I'd rather die than that. So if you guys want to fire me over it, even though you like the message, fire me for it. What happened then? And that's when they were like, you have to take it down. We're giving you a direct order. I said, I already expressed to you the reasons why it's not coming down. Okay. And, and you guys all know me. Like, my nickname at my last department was Crazy Anderson because I don't do bullshit. Like, I'll call a chief out. I'll call a, like... I give everybody respect. Most of these guys are not former army rangers, though. Yeah, that's true. They don't have that kind of experience dealing with real battle and real carnage. They don't. Yeah, no, exactly right. They just don't. Um, and, uh, I mean, that could be a whole yeah, separate yeah. podcast yeah. is that our law enforcement, they're not being held to a standard that I think law enforcement needs to be held to. Both physically, mentally, and like capability-wise, like everything. I think law enforcement needs to up their game but then it's also a numbers thing the the harder they make the profession the more challenging and the more demanding the less people are going to want to do it you know so they have to compensate accordingly um there's plenty of things that can be done to improve law enforcement i'm sure a lot of people that are watching this right now like especially with all the riots and all of the calling to defund the police there's plenty that can be done to make law enforcement better to make the training better we can get into the defunding of the police later. Um, yeah, whenever you want. That's yeah, <laughs> um, but just real quick so they know what happened to you when you refused, they finally did what? They put me on what's called administrative leave, which is still getting paid. That's good. But it's pending termination. And this is what they told me. They said, we have to now do an IA, internal affairs investigation on you, and you are going to be terminated for insubordination because you were directed to pull your video and you said no. I said, okay. All right. Fire me. So we're, we're on, we're on like the death row of firing right now, but getting, getting paid. Yeah, I did um, my, I did the internals affair investigation. I went to two separate meetings regarding that investigation. And the last one was like six weeks ago and I haven't heard a peep from them, but I got paid this morning. So. Good. Let it keep <laughs> you know? coming. But it's interesting what you said. You're like, <clears throat> Instead of like living in fear and, and not doing what's right because of like financial obligations, mm -hmm. like when one door closes, another opens. And when America saw what happened to me, like the GoFundMe absolutely blew up. And all these people, and, and I want to bring this up because a lot of people start hating on me, like you fucking steal money from people. First of all, I didn't steal money from anybody. Yeah, people just People helped. donated it. And if you look, you it's public, you can go look. 
99% of those donations are five, $10. Like people said, you know what? I don't like what's happening to this cop. He seems like a good guy. I'm going to give him my Starbucks coffee this morning. You know what I mean? That's really cool. And, and we're not saying that you're going to get someone to donate to you if you stand up to your dude. No, no, boss. no. But, it, but it's just but weird how... The universe will take care of it when you're yeah, true to yourself. There's a weird thing. Yes. And a lot of things that have happened from the aftermath of this, like just the people I've made connections with and, and different career paths opening up and different job offers. And I've met a lot of people that I would have never met otherwise. It's bizarre. It's, it's bizarre to the point where it's like, I, I often joke, like I'm living in a simulation. No accidents. I, I think there <laughs> are know? really, I mean, I feel like there are no accidents in this world. And when you really are in alignment with your highest integrity, even if it seems risky, even if it seems counterintuitive, you know, life will find a way to take care of you if you really trust that scary place of truth. <laughs> well, yeah, so. and you can't allow yourself to be held back by fear. Oh yeah, well fear fear is the biggest paralyzer. I mean, well it's, it's actually because of fear that we have all these complicit complicit people that are adhering to these orders that are not That's constitutional. Right. And and I talk about this often within my circle and now now that I do have like a social media presence, I've been talking about it. But I don't say this to like try and sound tough or or like oh, I was an army ranger, but the reality of rangering and living that lifestyle is that I came to terms as a young man that like my belief system will probably cost me my life. Like I let's hope that's not true. Well, no, no, but I mean, but you have to be prepared for that. Not only prepared, but likely when I was in Iraq in Ramadi and Fallujah, I learned at a young age to operate in a way that where I wasn't controlled by fear. And the way that I did that was almost having an expectation that this belief system and, and, and this mission that I believe in is one day going to cost me my life. And it goes, it circles all the way back to what we were just talking about with downstairs is like, that's why some rangers, once they have kids, walk away from that. Because you do understand that the game you're playing and how high the stakes are. But fast forward 10, 12, 15 years, like now I'm a police officer and I'm in America and I'm, I'm not surrounded by violence and I'm not surrounded by the enemy. But there's a different war that's starting to brew. And it's... And, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist person. I never it's, have it's been. Not it's not a theory. It's a reality. There, there's violence on our streets. People are tearing down monuments. People are smashing businesses. People are being assaulted. Police officers are being shot. Like, things are not going well for our country right now. And I'm in a place where I fall back to that mindset. It's like, okay, well, if not me, then who? Like, I have three young daughters. If I'm not willing to stand up and do what's right, are they going to have to grow up in some communist post-apocalyptic world? And and the thing is, if enough people say, you know what, I've had enough, this thing's not going to be able to grow legs. This thing's not going to be able to take off. The American people can stop this in its tracks, but there has to be a certain point that people are pushed to before they finally stand up and say, we have had enough. And what is that point? Well, this is kind of what I wanted to get into here because your message was really prophetic in the sense that you said that if the law enforcement officers that you were witnessing continue to abuse our rights, um, they would wake a, quote, sleeping giant. And at the time I was like, I freaking hope so because we need to <laughs> yeah. do this, yeah. you know? Like, I can't be the only one squawking in my corner here, and I know I'm not. But, um, but then what happened was 
kind of an uprising, but not in the way I was hoping for. Not in for. the way that I was that I foresaw it either. Yeah, we we have now George Floyd, who is now um, being used as the reason for why we have this um, violent uprising that is being pushed by what I will call the radical left, the very radical agenda, and they are pretending to care about black lives, but instead they're actually pushing a very, very radical political agenda that has more to do with communism, socialism, and um, stealing our you know free speech and all that fun stuff. And uh, moreover, it's very divisive. It's, it, it's creating um, racial tension that actually isn't even there, but it's creating it. I, I, so, I agree with that. I think... But now that's happened, right? So... And, and let me let me just touch on that for one second, yeah. because people that want to take the George Floyd murder and then attribute what's happening in our country to what happened to him, all you have to do is take a step back for one second, detach yourself emotionally, and look at everything big picture. Okay, I don't know one cop that supports what happened to him. I don't know one, and I know a lot of cops. Everybody's like that dude is a piece of shit. Once someone's in handcuffs, regardless of how hard you fought them, regardless if they spit in your face, regardless if they called your mom a whore, like cops deal with that stuff every single day. Once they're in handcuffs, we as professionals understand the fight is over. His fight was over, but that cop, for whatever reason, decided to continue to do what he did. I don't have to describe it. Everybody's seen it. And the guy ended up dying. Okay. Now. What is the system that everybody's so up in arms against? What did they do to that guy? They arrested him. He's been apprehended. They charged him with murder. Mm-hmm. And he's probably going to go to the jail for the rest of his life. Not only did they charge him, they said, you know what? This was so egregious. The other three cops that were there, you're going to get arrested too. So this system that you guys are like saying is like rooted in racism and doesn't give a shit about us, that system looked at those four people and said, these guys are monsters, let's lock them up. So the system actually did work against the criminals within its own system. Yeah, and everybody says like, oh, cops just do whatever they want and cops don't have to answer anybody and cops, and that's not true. We are looked at under a microscope every single day. Oh, actually, I know a little bit about yeah. that, and actually. So yeah. when you look at how that played out, and I know some people are like starting to bitch about, well, it shouldn't be murder two, it should be murder one. Okay. Okay. Well, you're probably not a lawyer. And let me describe why that might be a bad idea. Because if you want to charge someone and every state is different, right? And I'm not sure exactly the laws over there, but in Washington, like you're going to have to show intent. Mm. You're going to have to show premeditation. You're mm. going to have to show that he was in his basement the night before writing in his you diary. You never know. I want to fucking kill somebody tomorrow. You need proof for that. You need proof for that, you right? Do. You do. So need proof. if you charge someone with a crime and the elements of those crime are not met in a court of law, guess what the verdict might come down as? Not guilty. Well, that's right. So if you charge him with the wrong thing, you they will get out. You charge him with the wrong thing. Uh, he may be found not guilty. Of that. Yes. And so oh, people are like... It's a technicality. Yeah. People are like, Ooh. oh, we want this. We want... And then the other thing is saying, he needs to be guilty already. It's like... He's guilty. We know it. But but you could go into a room full of kindergartners and shoot them all and oh, do something absolutely heinous. The, you still get to go through the judicial process of having your day in court. We That's what that. our country is founded on. And I yes. get that it's frustrating when we see these shitheads 
being treated like human beings. But the other side of that coin is, as soon as we think someone's a heinous piece of shit, you know what? Let's just take them out and shoot them. And there's a lot of people that should be taken out and shot. Like, I'm not disagreeing with that as an individual. But as looking at it from from detaching my emotion and looking at how a system is structured, you're going to be communist China before you know it. We have to allow the process to work. Now, can the process be tweaked and amended? And if you think that it should be, you have the right to petition that and and try and oversee change. But you can't just say, I don't like what that guy did. Let's drag him out in the streets and burn him alive. Even though that's what our emotional side wants us to do. And so with him, I just want people to realize the system that's in place currently agrees with all the people that are upset about it. Yeah. And they're attempting to put that guy in jail forever. Agreed. And I think it's important to remember that um, if you can be punched because you're a Nazi and anyone can be called a Nazi, guess what? You can be punched with, you know, I mean, it's the same idea. It's like as soon as you start to treat the criminals badly, you can apply that same standard to anyone. You know, anyone can be positioned as a criminal, even if they're not. And if you don't treat everyone with that equal respect under the law, then we're all victim to this. I mean, we're all vulnerable to this. And trust me, I've had, I've had that inner desire to pull the knife out of my belt and stick it in a dude's neck more than any of your viewers could probably ever understand. I had one guy that I had in custody who was making pornos with a two-year-old. And I don't want to get into details, but I have the details. And I have that guy in handcuffs, and I'm taking him up the elevator to jail. And there's no cameras in the elevators. So tempting, isn't it? And it's like... God. The thought of, he went for your fucking gun. He went for your fucking gun. Like, yeah, I'm a human being, and I have young daughters. So every bell and whistle in my brain is going off. This guy needs to be taken out of the gene pool. Trust me, I get that. So I get the... The emotion behind these things. But at the same time, if you allow your emotion to dictate how we operate as a society... It won't work. What do we have? We have chaos. We have chaos in the streets. Right. Which that's is because we are allowing people's emotions to dictate their actions. And it's, it's up to you as an individual. And I mean, I was... Maybe I was fortunate at a young age. I learned through ranger selection and deployments how to kind of compartmentalize those emotions... It's like, it's how you feel and it's how you operate. Those two things aren't always the same. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I don't know if you listen to Jocko, but a big thing that he talks about is detaching emotionally. So if, you, if this is you, you want to take a step back and almost observe you as an individual from a detached perspective. Sounds like meditation. Yeah. Actually, is and what so, it sounds like. And if you can look at you from a detached perspective and think about like, and not only you as an individual, situations, conflicts, you can remove yourself. And he even talks about like literally sometimes walk five feet back, get a physical detachment, and then you'll feel like a, a emotional and spiritual detachment. That's the same thing that has to do that people need to do here. If you think throwing a brick through a window or a Molotov cocktail at a cop is a good idea in your in your true heart, you're probably lying to yourself. If any human being that could just step out of the mob mentality, step out of that 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 chaos that's happening in the moment and just say, "Am I doing the right thing here?" Like 
Is this fair to this business owner? Is this a good example for my children? Like I talk about it a lot. Right and wrong is pretty clear in your heart. Almost all people have that inherent understanding. But their people are so willing to throw it out the window and just do whatever the fuck feels good at that moment. And that's part of the chaos that's ravaging the streets across America. Agreed. And so here we are um, now with everyone against the cops. And I shouldn't say everyone. They're, it's not. Uh, it's, it's a very loud group of people against the cops that are now calling to defund the police and they've succeeded they've so succeeded far in, in New York. Places. Yeah. And so, and you know, if it's, if in it's, Minneapolis top, too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there you go. And so it's, it's going to like, this is, this is the real virus in my perspective, or this is more of a, a problem. Um, because if this keeps happening, my next question to you is, I know you're not a psychic here, or maybe you are. <laughs> How do you see this ending with the... I mean, what are the repercussions of defunding the cops? I know what those repercussions are. Let's talk about it. And this is not because I'm a psychic. And ask your husband. If you've lived in a third world country that doesn't have clear understanding of the law and have structure and have mutual respect, once those things are taken away, human beings have a tendency to go straight savage. Like I've seen it plenty of times. Like when I was in Iraq, when they removed the Saddam regime, there was this power vacuum, right? And what did everybody in America think was gonna happen? Saddam's gone. It's gonna be roses and, and rainbows and flowers and the Iraqi people are gonna celebrate. In, in, in a perfect world, that's what would have happened. But that's not human nature. What happened was, and I saw it with my own two eyes plenty of times. Oh, my neighbor down the street that I always fucking hated, I'm gonna go kill that guy. I'm gonna shoot his family up. Oh, I'm gonna steal this. I'm gonna, I wanna be in charge of this city and that guy wants to be in charge of the city now. So we're gonna get a group of guys together and I'm gonna try and kill him and his family before he kills me. Like there was, it. anyone that deployed to Iraq understands it was not American troops versus Al Qaeda of Iraq or American troops versus Saddam's army. It was American troops against all of these different factions of people. They were fighting amongst themselves, the Sunnis and the Shias, the Kurds. You had Al-Qaeda Iraq. You had like foreign fighters coming in from all over the world that just felt it was like a calling from God to come there and start fighting. It was a hornet's nest. And I promise you, and again, it goes back to like me as an individual, and I'm not going to, I don't say this to like sound tough. It excites me to think about combat in our streets. So do you think it's the, it will happen? I think it, it, if things don't change, it will happen. So we're, we're basically headed toward uh, third world country status with um, those who are super off balance, creating a lot of mayhem. And then you'll have probably veteran special forces military going up against those guys, which will be another story. Well, it's going to be like shooting fish in a barrel. <laughs> and the reason that it excites me is because combat was my youth. Like I have always wanted to move past that. And maybe it's part of like a PTSD thing. I'm not saying that it's healthy or that it's correct, but my youth was rooted in combat. I haven't had that in a long time. And there's a part of me that looks forward to it. But the other side of that, it's a dichotomy, just like almost everything in life. The other side of that is I have small children. I do not want them to have to live like I lived in the streets of Ramadi where, hey, you want to go to the store? And for anybody that's listening, 
that has never been part of combat operations, this is what it's going to look like to go to the store to buy something in a lawless, apocalyptic state. You have to have about 12 to 16 men. You have to have four or five vehicles. You have to do a route recon. You have to have an advance party go out to make sure that everything is safe. You have to have checkpoints. You have to have phase lines. You have to have primary, secondary, tertiary routes. You have to have a counter assault plan if you're ambushed. You have to have rally points. Like this is to go three miles. In Ramadi for us to go three miles, we would have to do an op order and talk about all these things and it would take an hour. And every man had to understand every position. Every man had to understand all the points on the map. Every man had to understand what weapons were in what vehicle and who carried what and what the capabilities were in case this car goes down who are we gonna like what car are we gonna cross load people into it goes on and on and on and on and that is how you move in non-permissive environments does that sound like something you want your kids to have to do just to go to the store I've said this before in my other videos everything that we failed to do in this generation is going to punish our children Everyone mm -hmm. who's just sitting back sipping lattes, encouraging the rioters to keep going because, you know, the radical movements are just so righteous. It's like you are enabling, perhaps unwittingly, this world that could happen if we don't band together and do something about it. And so my next question now, unless you have something to say. No, go ahead. Because you have a lot of lot of jewels here and I don't want to miss any of them. Um, so, so hypocritically, a lot of the... Um, Mostly Democratic, although we have some Republican, uh, you know, elected officials who have been supporting the defund the police ideology, they ironically and perhaps hypocritically have a team of security around them almost all the time, right? All the time. And it's usually the police. So, yeah, exactly. If they are decrying the police, in your prediction, is there a point where the police will then say, oh, yeah, yeah. You're are, on your own. I mean, do you predict that the police are going to say, hey, well, we're not going to protect you anymore, mayor such and such I think who they hates should. us? I think they should do right? that. They because, should, not yet. Well, and I mean, again, uh, this could be a whole other podcast. Our community leadership has been embarrassing themselves over these last few months. Mayors and governors that they get on Twitter, they get on Facebook, and they go on these little rants or they address some specific issue. But where are they? Like a real leader needs to be there, present, engaging people directly. Like I've been saying this, our governor should be walking the streets of Seattle. He should be walking through Chaz and saying, tell me why you think this is a good idea. Try like educate people, show leadership. But why won't they do that? Because you know that their because interests are elsewhere. Well, their interests are elsewhere, and they're not willing to risk their own physical safety. Like they're oh, not warriors. What they're if not someone soldiers. throws a brick at me? Yeah, but every cop in America, when he puts his badge on in the morning, understands this comes with an inherent risk to my physical safety. And they want to put all the police officers in the riots. They want to put the police officers on the front lines. They want to take the police officer's tear gas away. They want to take away their ability to arrest these people. And I had buddies that were there. I heard of all this firsthand. Guys throwing bricks and Molotov cocktails, burning their squad cars. All this shit was real. 
Where's the leadership? They're nowhere to be seen because they're cowards. Cowards. Part of being a leader is understanding it has an inherent risk. And that risk might mean you take a brick up the side of the head. That doesn't mean you go hide in your office and, and, and to piggyback off of what you said. They have these security teams with, with 16 men with AR-15s. And I'm not making that number up because I was a U.S. Marshal and I was on Supreme Court Justice security details. I know exactly how that works. I've been part of it. You're in armored cars. You have AR-15s next to you. Like these people get all of the resources and the protection that they desire. Meanwhile, trying to strip that from us, you know? And I mean, that's a whole other Second Amendment thing. It's like all of these people that are anti-gun are protected by teams of armed men. With guns. Hillary Clinton, yes. Joe Biden, they are protected by teams of armed men. The ultimate hypocrisy, and I think it's pretty clear to most of us that how much we need the Second Amendment. If 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 the police are going, and this is actually going to lead into my next question, um, if we're in a situation where the police are ordered to stand down by the local government, and, and there is a distress call, um, and no one comes, like say you're being attacked, and with and that person is immune to any kind of prosecution. What do you then do? I mean, it's pretty clear why the Second Amendment was created. It's for the people to protect themselves in this kind of thing. So Both I think- Both against other citizens and, and government. the government. Um, so now that we're in a situation of, there's a lot of um, police that are going on strike, calling in sick, you know, um, resigning en masse, um, or just bonafide, you know, in places like New York, the police are just getting defunded. If you live in an area that the cops are no longer going to protect you, um, what what do you advise well, that citizens in those areas do? And here's the sad part about it, is that just like just like the 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 minority of cops that are shitheads, like Derek Chauvin paint the profession with a broad brush. So everybody sees police officers in a bad light because one guy did something shitty. And that's the media's fault, let's face it, right? But I think the same can be said on the other side is that there there are a lot of people from inner cities and minority groups that do feel like, hey, you know what? I haven't been given a fair shake. I get pulled over more than white people. Uh, the stop and frisk law, like all of these things, that they are in their heart good people, that they don't like some of the things that they've observed and that they've experienced in their communities. And so let's talk about this. Let's try and come up with solutions. I want to be heard. I want to feel validated. That's like a big part of this, right? But then you have a small percentage of people throwing bricks through windows, lighting things on fires, and calling to defund the police. And, and what they don't realize, what that does is that detracts from the movement. Of course it does. Of the people that are legitimate. And I, and there are people that have been racially profiled. Okay, let's talk about that. How do we prevent that from happening? Like There are conversations to be had, right? But once you just let the radical element like take the center stage, all the valid concerns of law-abiding citizens not only get put in the dumpster, but now those are the people, you say defund the police, those are the people that are going to be the victims. The inner city people, the like, the people, be on their that, own. The, the, the people that are impoverished, those are going to be the victims. 
And so your own movement and your own demands are going to further decay your own communities. That's what's going to happen. And you're going to see the cities that lose their law enforcement presence. You're going to see an uprising in crime. The property values will go down. Property values are going to go New down. New York is going to tank for property values, just saying. And so I don't, and again, it comes back to detaching. Let's look at this big picture. We don't want police. Why do we not want police? Instead of being emotional about it, let's take a step back and say, what's going to happen if we were to abolish the police departments? Again. Which is what you just explained. It starts to become pretty clear what's going to happen. So what do we tell, because I imagine we're going to have viewers from all over the country here. Um, what do you tell people in New York whose police departments have already been defunded? The, the, the New Yorkers who are now afraid that there is no one to come help them when they have a distress call. Well... It's, it's an interesting question because at the end of the day, if it comes down to you to protect yourself, then it comes down to you to protect yourself. Now, guys like me enjoy that opportunity to be like, all right, let's go. Come and try and break into my house, you know? But for a lot of people that aren't... A lot of them maybe aren't armed, you aren't know? Armed, and it's hard, to get, they, it's hard to get guns right now because everyone's just selling out, buying, at, buying everything yes, out. Yes, exactly. And that's why we're going to see do? this problem snowball because you have two choices. You either have to learn how to defend yourself. Really quick. Or you have to relocate to somewhere where you feel safe. So you're recommending that people that are living in these zones that are uh, experiencing the uh, police presence that's diminished or being eliminated, you think that they should either move or learn how to, de to defend themselves. I'm not saying are... they should do either. But this things. is what you recommend. I'm saying that if violence starts to become widespread in the country, you either have to avoid the violence or you have to confront it. Seems simple. That's it is. It is simple. People yeah. overthink things all the time. I mean, you're either going to have to avoid it or confront it. And if you don't have that that warrior's will to confront it, then avoid it. And I'm not saying everybody should confront it. it moving is not a bad idea, especially since you know your property values are going to be plummeting <laughs> anyway. But um, well, that that is very that. Thank you for answering. That. And it's 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 an interesting question because I just did a whole podcast myself on this, a two hour podcast on how to become mentally and physically ready to defend yourself. We, and we will link to this podcast actually underneath the video, so stay tuned for that. And it's, and, and it's an interesting perspective because we've had, what, two million new gun owners in the last month? Like, I don't know the exact statistics, but I've been reading like, there's more new go gun owners in the last 60 days than at any time in American history. Everybody wants a gun. Oh, I wonder why. Why do they, right? Yeah. But, but, and again, I did a two-hour podcast, so I'm not going to go too in-depth in this. But if you go buy yourself a Glock 19, a 9 millimeter handgun, and you think you're ready to defend yourself, you're doing yourself a disservice. Yeah, you have no fucking idea. Learn how to use it. You have to learn how to use it. You have to learn how it works. You have to learn how it functions. You have to learn how it malfunctions. Then you have to learn maintenance for that weapon. You have to learn to draw from the holster, retention, like on and on and on and on. There's a reason why becoming a, like a special operations soldier literally takes years. It's because these skill sets take repetition after repetition after repetition. Not only like the marksmanship, you have to be able to aim what you're, what you're intending to engage and hit what you're intending to engage. But there's a million other little nuances that go into that. Mm -hmm. And if you think I'm just going to go to the gun store and now I'm ready to go confront people in the streets, you're actually doing yourself a disservice because it's incorrect. 
the right person will just take that gun right out of your hands. I completely agree with that. And to segue back, as you mentioned Chaz earlier, uh, for those of you who don't know, in Washington State, in Seattle specifically, there is a, um, a portion of Capitol Hill, which is a neighborhood in Seattle um, called the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, which was formerly named Chaz, and they recently changed it to CHOP, and God knows if they've changed it again. But it's a situation where, per the orders of city officials, police were told to allow this radical group to take over this section of the city, um, despite the fact that there are poorer business owners operating within those parameters, to basically make it their own with impunity. There was actually a shooting and a death there last weekend. That the cops couldn't respond to. And they couldn't respond very well. So what is your opinion about Chop Chaz, and where do you think this will end, if at all, with that kind of issue and the repercussions for maybe other areas of the world that might have yeah. their own Chop Chaz? So it's it's an interesting question, and I've, I've had a lot of people ask me this. I discussed it on some of my platforms. I have to start by saying I haven't been down there yet. I've wanted to go down there. My wife's talked me out of it a couple times. But this is from what I'm researching and talking to people that have gone down there, and I've talked to people that... I'm friends with that have went down there and what it looks like is during the day it's a bunch of young kids painting and singing and basically just having a presence saying we're doing what we want you can't control us it's not rooted in like violence and uh, some of the things like checkpoints and demanding like money from businesses and stuff but what it seems like is once the sun goes down there's a criminal element down there that's taking advantage of the fact that there's no longer law enforcement presence mm-hmm. and there is a lot of crime happening and drug use happening. And oh, like I heard there was a, some overdoses down there. There was that kid, 19 year old kid was shot and killed. And it's pretty, it's, it's pretty apparent that if the police can't respond to a certain part of your city, there's a problem that needs to be taken care of. If you have a murder and no police are going to respond to that, I mean, what, are we in Mogadishu? Like, this is Seattle, Washington. If we want to have civility and we want to be able to maintain order, then we have to be able to at least have a basic law enforcement and first responder functions. And they've taken that away there. And, and again, this falls on city leadership, city council and the mayor. From a tactical standpoint, okay, someone that has fought in the streets of different cities, trying to retake ground that you already controlled is a thousand times harder than maintaining ground you already control they gave the precinct away they said walk away from the precinct mm-hmm. what you're doing is that's a political move it's that a was political a, move yeah but what it's doing is it's emboldening the people in the streets yes and it's diminishing the not only the credibility but the capability of the police department i would i would suggest that maybe this is a political plan from the beginning to kind of put police officers in the position of looking like the bad guys once again when they reclaim what was theirs well, it, and I mean, ours. Everything has totally been politicized about this to the point where you have to ask yourself, is this calculated or are they just taking an opportunity to politicize what's in front of them? Like that 19-year-old kid that got killed in Chaz a couple nights ago. Do you know that the city of Seattle's city council blamed publicly blamed President Trump for that? I mean, think think about that, right? I'm not even okay. But but, but, but just and again, to not be emotionally involved. I know. Look at me. To, I'm like ah. 
to step back and say, okay, let's talk about how they could pin that on Trump. And they said that he's pushing a radical right-wing agenda and that a radical right-wing shooter went in there to kill somebody, which there's no, there's there's no proof of that. Zero proof of that. So they just jumped at an opportunity to try and take the violence that's taking place in the streets and pin it elsewhere. That's the that's the opposite of ownership. And leaders take ownership of what's going on. Yeah. Like a true leader says, "Hey, we thought that maybe allowing these these protesters to be able to have a, a section of our city for a couple weeks to voice their concerns." would empower them and make them feel like they're validated. But it turned violent and that was our bad. We didn't foresee that coming and we're shutting it down right now. But something in American politics that you never see is the humility to say I fucked up and we're wrong. Mm -hmm. Like it would be such a powerful thing if our community leaders, especially like going back to the COVID thing. Hey, listen, we did this in out of the best interests and we took these measures based on A, B and C and Three months down the road, it looks like we were wrong about a lot of things. Like, why is that an abstract idea? But it is for whatever reason. There, there's, there's plenty of ideas I have for why um, they won't fess up because I feel like there is a there is a deeper agenda going on. Just to ask you really quick because this was going to be one of my original um, questions to you. Because we tried to schedule this interview like several weeks ago and we kind of um, had a I, lot going on. I was busy and I yeah. dropped the ball. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's all right. Um, but it's, it's, it's actually good in the sense that we have so much more to talk about now because when we've originally connected, the riots hadn't started. And now that the riots have started and we have this extremist movement going on to defund the cops, um, now we have, we just, everything's a lot more poignant. So, but one of my original questions to you, if we can briefly touch on it, is... Everyone agrees that what happened to George Floyd was wrong. Um, how can we, if we ever witness, and this is a very tricky question because... Uh, I know where this is going. If we witness something like this happening again, how do we... I mean, the one of the biggest outcries is like, why was everyone filming? Why wasn't anyone helping him? And the problem with encouraging citizen vigilantes to watch the cops and then interfere with what the cops are doing is that they might misjudge the situation and create more harm than good. And obviously we have all this anti-cop sentiment right now and, and cops are absolutely in danger. Um, someone that we know uh, actually was promoting killing cops on social media. We no longer consider them friends, but like this, it's very dangerous to encourage citizen vigilantes to try to stop future cops that might kill someone like George Floyd, but we have to yeah, what do we you have do? to intervene? What? How? Okay. So can this you tell is, us how this to intervene? is my two cents on that. And and again, this is just one man's opinion, and it might get you hurt, and it might get you killed, because the the likelihood of you trying to stop four officers from arresting somebody is probably going to end up with you being taken into custody, or you being injured, or having use of force applied on you, right? And so that's a very real concern because police just inherently have that that command presence over a lot of citizens and they look at officers like for what as what the badge represents not them as just a human being right so you have to ask yourself okay if i see a cop doing something that's just blatantly wrong yes call them on it 
what if they okay so what if you call them on it but they won't and stop they won't stop what do you to, then do exactly like the george floyd scenario exactly i would like to think and again this is it's very easy to monday morning quarterback all the people that were there right but i would like to think if i was there i would have been like bro get your fucking knee it's called it's called the recovery position every cop knows it once they're in cuffs you lay them on their side you bring one knee up and and it makes it easy for them to breathe and then also if they're if they vomit or anything they're not going to choke on it. It's the recovery position. Every cop knows it. Or you sit them up and you put them in the back of your patrol car. And and so I also So they're not. If, yeah, if they're and calling it out and no one's listening, it's like say your 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 cries are falling on deaf ears. I would like to think that I would walk up and be like and I would have more credibility too being a cop. Say know? it's me. Yeah. Say it's a, say it's a little old woman. Or a little young woman. I think you have to go up and you have to express your concern. And if they're not willing to change anything and you think that it's literally putting someone's life at risk, yeah. that you should intervene. That's, be, that's dangerous advice, and it's though. Da- it's dangerous advice. That's why when we started this conversation, I said it could end up with you getting hurt, arrested, or worse. And I don't want to try and pit the people against the police officers and cause like that kind of conflict. But at the same time, police officers are just people. And a lot of them do stupid shit. And, and and like we said originally, they're answering to their poor decisions. Yeah. But what if a group of people intervened? What if a group of people intervened at minute three and, and, and not allowed it to go to minute nine? What would that have looked like? It might have looked like with seven to ten people having uh, obstruction charges. But maybe it's worth it. But maybe it's worth it. Right. So there's got to be a way maybe you can try to like physically and peacefully intervene and maybe you just take the hit of getting arrested too to save this guy's life. So yeah. What and there's no, and there's no right answer. Yeah. There's no right answer is there. There's the right thing to do. And I think everybody understands what the right thing to do is, but there's a good chance in a scenario like that, that the ethical thing to do has negative consequences. And that's just part of where we're at in society right now, you know? I think it I think if enough people would have said like again like go at it with from a stance of like hey we're not here to 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 try and like assault you guys or hurt you or intervene we just want to see him seated up against the car just let him breathe man that's it just let him breathe and I don't know maybe if enough people had done that that could have happened but so, maybe it wouldn't have either you know what I mean maybe they would have called back up and you would have yeah. seen more violence it's hard to predict, but I guess... It was a bizarre thing to watch that because... We have to brace ourselves because I feel like now that you've got like the cops that you were calling out enforcing these draconian measures that are not lawful, we might be in a system or, I'm um, sorry, we might be in a situation where someone steps on your neck because you're not wearing a mask. Exactly, exactly right. So, 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 okay, guys, what do we do if so we see someone do that? And again, I don't, I didn't... I don't know how far I want to share like what's really going on inside of here because again, I fall back to that 2004 Streets of Ramadi stuff. Like that's hardwired on how I confront conflict. But as of today in Washington state where we're at right now, it's a misdemeanor if you leave your house without a mask on. I wanted to talk about this. I was yeah. saving it for well, the no, end, no, that's, but that's we a can good, talk about it now. That's a good segue because yeah. you're saying like if a cop, if you see a cop doing something wrong, what is your ability to defend yourself or somebody else? And this is kind of where my heart's at on this, okay? I'm a good guy. I've, I have zero criminal history. 
Um, I've never had any complaints against me professionally as an officer for 10 years, not one. That's good. And that's public disclosure. People can go look that up. I was like runner up for officer of the year. So I was liked amongst my peers as well. Right. And I like law enforcement. I support law enforcement. But if you as an officer want to side with uh, uh, a governor that is pushing these orders that are not law, if you want to side, if, if that's the side of history that you want us to be on when this is all, when this all shakes out, then you're my enemy. And I know that that sounds dramatic, right? But it keeps, it goes back to me having three little kids. I have three young daughters and I'm not going to wrap shit around their face so they can play at the park because our governor is pushing a political agenda. That's what's going on here. Yes. Clear as day. And it's sad to me that a lot of people have bought into the, I'm the selfish one if I don't want to wrap shit around my kids' faces. It doesn't work scientifically. It doesn't work scientifically. That's proven. That's proven. But but I'm the I'm the one, and, and this is the media machine making everything fun, fall into place just how they want it. That if I go outside without a mask on and take my babies to the park, I'm the problem, right? Yeah. And so this, I, I and, and again, I talk about this in my other videos. I call it war gaming. Think about scenarios that could play out mm -hmm. and think about how you're going to confront them. What are you going to do? Because I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm going to just no, blame wearing a mask. I'm not gonna no, no, no. of course I'm not wearing a mask. I'm going to just say, hey, call the police. Like, they're going to be so busy anyway. So if, so if individuals want to confront me about it, I'm going to be polite to them. As we should try to do. And I'm not going to tell them to go fuck off. That's <laughs> so okay? tempting. But I go from zero to 100 very quickly. Mm -hmm. Like, if you think, if you tell me, hey, where's your fucking mask? Be like, you know, that's a executive order. It's not a law. And I'm not obliged to follow it. And I can leave it at that. I, I, okay, remember these terms. It's an executive order and not a law. So when everyone tells you, hey, it's mandatory that you do this, that's what you're going to say. And you're just going to keep doing what you're doing. Okay? And if they want to call the cops on you, then you can deal with that. Right? Well, and let's talk about what an executive order is. An exec those We have determined as a society to be able to grant great amounts of power to one man or one woman for emergency situations. Right. Mm -hmm. So like the governor can say, hey, like everybody stay in your house because of, you know, they can implement like martial law. Right. And that's where there's so much violence in the street. Like martial law was implemented in what, like Pearl Harbor or like in New Orleans during the battle, the battle of New Orleans, like very dramatic situations, not a sickness that is has a zero point zero zero one percent chance of killing you. And, and I know people are going to start throwing shit at their stereos because I'm not a doctor. But what I'm saying is this doesn't rise to the level that requires the government to be making these these executive orders under the threat of arrests and misdemeanor prosecutions. And so I've thought about this and this is where I'm at on it. My business is open now. That's great. If you want to come and shut my business down. You're going to have to shut me down. And if you're not ready to fucking face me, then don't come to my business. And if that means that I have a fucking shootout with somebody over my own property and my own business and my customers that are choosing to be there under their own free will, if you want to try and shut that down, then come and try and shut me down. And I'm going to have a very similar approach to the mask thing. If, if law enforcement officers come to me and say, hey, you need to put your mask on. I'm going to say, listen, 
I have no issue with you. I have an issue with the order that you're trying to enforce, yeah. but you don't have the right to enforce it. And that's the end of this conversation. That's the end of it. That's the kind of conversations we need to have because a lot of us will run into people who try to enforce. I mean, every one of us has run into these people. They're like, put on your mask, right? Yeah. Farmers markets, grocery stores, everywhere. And so at that point, when I don't feel like I have violated any, any rights or, or violated the law, if I'm ever put into a point where they think they're going to detain me, then it's go time. Then it's Ramadi 04 fighting on the streets. And, it, and it's probably going to end up with the, cu- the the police officer being handcuffed with his own cuffs. And that's just... Because you know how to do that, but I don't. So, <laughs> so for people yeah. like me, when, when the draconian authorities come in, whoever will be enforcing it, because maybe a lot of the cops won't, but if, if you do run into someone who is enforcing the draconian orders... How am I going to if, say someone actually calls the police on me because I'm not wearing an unscientific mask? What do you think I should do? Just be arrested and sue them later? I mean, maybe that's an option. That's an option. That's no, an no. Option. And, and right. again, every time I every time I talk about this, I've done a lot of interviews in the last month. I am not going to sit here and tell someone what they should do, because what you should do advice is what we want. What you should do is you should think about different scenarios, how they play out, what you're comfortable risking, what you're capable of doing. Like, all of these things play out. Like, I'm okay fucking dying for my cause. So if you want to fucking shoot me because I'm letting people work out at my gym, if you want to come in and 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 physically assault me and take me by force because me and my friends are working out, I will fight to the death. And you probably won't fucking win. And that's not me being like, again, I don't like, that's not me being tough guy. That's me. I've went to, I did 14 fucking deployments for this country. And now I own a small gym and I have a small group of people that we like to train together. And if you think as a government entity, you're going to deprive me of that, fucking try it. That's, I've drawn that line and I'm ready to defend that. And I'm capable of defending that. But maybe you're not, maybe somebody listening is not ready to risk their life over this. And I know it sounds dramatic, right? But but the reason why it's so dramatic for me is because if you let one man make an executive order that deprives people of their freedoms and you say, you know what? Something doesn't feel right. It's not it's it's not that big of a deal though and we'll we'll allow him to bend the rules a little bit this time. What's next time look like? What's the time after that to look like? For me, there's right and wrong and this is on the wrong side of things and I won't stand for it. And, and I think people need to look inward and decide where their line is in the sand. I'm not going to go be like overt about this. I'm not going to go look for confrontation. Those if, who look for blood will find Yes. It. But if confrontation comes to me, I'm also not going to back down and be a sheep. You know, like I've done my entire adult life has been in service of this nation since I was 18 years old. And now I have to pander all of a sudden. It's just not, it's not going to happen. And so, and it's funny too, because we're talking about downstairs before we push record, me and my wife are having this talk again. Like we used to have before I deploy about this might be, this is probably your last deployment. Like that's a real, that's a real thing. And now I'm starting to feel that again. Mm. And it's like, I just know. I've seen too many things on TV where, you know, there was a father throwing a ball with a young daughter and they arrested him. Like, that would be it for me. That would be it. And I know that because I know myself. 
And it's, it's unfortunate that we've allowed these politicians that are sitting in suits, sitting in their offices, behind their 15-man security detail, to create this tension on the streets to the point where, like, people are ready to, to draw blood with police officers over this, you know? And is it calculated or did they just seize an opportunity? I don't know. Either way, I think it's important to underscore that what we are experiencing is a new world order. That is not a conspiracy theory. This whole thing, all these differences, this this new normal is a new world order of a kind. And so when you say that you are willing to put your life behind the cause, it's not the cause of saving his gym. It's the cause of preserving a peaceful, good world for our children. That cause is what we can put our lives behind, I think, is what is very important yeah, to underscore here. 100%. Because, again, like, I hate having regret. Regret is something that eats me alive. Festers. It festers. And it's so stupid because, like, you know, I've trained fighting now for 15 plus years. I'm a black belt in jiu-jitsu. One of the things that still eats me alive to this day is quitting wrestling when I was a sophomore in high school. And it's because I know, looking back, how good wrestling was for me. I wrestled for three years, and then I decided that chasing girls and drinking alcohol was more fun. And I let that go, right? Well, here I am, 23 years later or whatever, still bothers me. I'm like, you were a fucking bitch for quitting wrestling. We had this conversation right before we came up where I was regretting quitting uh, regretting quitting karate yeah, when see? I was an almost black belt at the age of eight. And I'm like, why didn't my mom just make me continue because eight-year-olds should not be making these big decisions you know like and so it's like it's it's amazing how that little thing is stuck with me yeah all this time and, and so and i won't let my own kid do that knowing myself if i were to take a back seat or allow myself to be bullied by any type of government authority that is that is not rooted in law and liberty that's rooted in this corruption that we're seeing if i were to allow that to happen to me I'll be 70 years old saying, you're a fucking coward. We don't want that for and any I, of us. I know that that's how I feel. So that's why the line's been drawn. And like I said, I've never had any run-ins with the law. I am. As, <laughs> I of, am right, law. as of right now, I'm still a police officer myself as I sit yeah. here. You know, I still hold a Washington State um, peace officer certification. So, but it's, it's just interesting how they're using this opportunity to once again start to pit the people against law enforcement. And I'll tell you what, when I made that video, dude, I was I went home and, or maybe it was like a night or two before I made the video, but during that, that specific period of time, I had that talk with my wife. I'm like, this is gonna go bad. Like, you're gonna see fighting in the streets, you're gonna see an uprising against the government, and I will be siding with the people, obviously. I'm not going to be a government pawn during all this. But I'm not afraid of conflict. But what I am afraid of is my daughter's not having their father anymore. Like the thought of that, like, yeah. tears me up, you yeah. know? And I told her, I said, that's unfortunately, men throughout history have been willing to give their life for what we have right now. That's part of the process. And if I get eaten up in that process, that's how it has to be. And, uh, are they afraid? Yeah, she's very afraid. I was going to ask you, how is this? I don't talk to my daughters or... about it. I just talk to my wife so, about so it. So they're okay. The, the kids are okay for now. 
Well, we talk a little bit about it, but not about me being shot in the streets. How has it affected your wife and those who know in your family? Well, she's scared again because she knows that I'm a non-compromising person, you know? Fair enough. And so it's just, it's a great concern for her. But then once the George Floyd thing happened, there's this big shift, right? The eyes were no longer on mayors and governors doing these, like what I call enforcing or implementing these tyrannical orders. The focus went to cops as individuals. And I was on a paid leave status at that point already. I wasn't actively on patrol. And it was weird because it was like, all right, even though we're seeing like all this crazy shit happening in our streets, I think the civil war that I was envisioning just got put on the back burner. It was like almost an instant shift in people's focus nationwide. Oh, right? yeah. I don't think that was an accident either. No. And, and, and then here's what's even worse. There was a part of me that was, re- was relieved. Because I was like, okay, you got a bunch of young, dumb kids throwing bricks and burning things down. Who are immune to COVID, by the way. Yeah, yeah, of course. Which sucks. <laughs> which sucks in itself. Yeah. But I didn't feel like that scenario ended with legitimate civil war. And as soon as they could, what do they do? They don't have any type of COVID enforcement. They have nothing to say about COVID when you have 20,000, 30,000 protesters in the streets. No one could care. Our governor got on TV and was like... These people are trying to make social changes, and we support that. But okay. now you can't go out of your house without a mask. And then it's very two, two weeks later, let's stoke the fire of COVID again. Hey, forget all this shit that we just allowed for the last three weeks. If you go outside without a mask on, it's a misdemeanor. It's like, okay, you're not going to prosecute the people who have been murdering, pillaging, looting, but... I could be arrested for not wearing a bandana yeah, over my face. It does is, nothing. It's, it's, and I so, think you understand, most of you, that this is wild. It's, it's not right. It's not right. And so now we're at a place where it's exactly that. They have now, they let law enforcement be painted as the most evil entity of all time for the last three or four weeks. And now they're going to take those same officers that they painted as evil, as evil monsters and turn them against people again. Go out there and make them do this. Make them wear a mask. Right? Oh, so what good. do you think that's going to do? And it's almost to the point where it's like they use the George Floyd thing to just make all this crazy tension and then redirect. They're going to be redirecting it back at law enforcement. Oh, the law enforcement officers are going to be the scapegoats in this. And and, and also, the law enforcement officers aren't only the scapegoats in real time and what's happening right now. But there's going to be litigation that's coming down the pipe from this for years and years and years. And for someone that was arrested for being at a park that is now suing Santa Barbara for a de facto and unlawful arrest, who do you think is going to be looked at as... The fucking the evil entity that did that. You think it's gonna be the police officer that put handcuffs on him, or you think it's gonna be Gavin Newsom sitting in an office that made the the executive order? And then who's gonna pay off those lawsuits? It's Tax gonna, dollars yeah. from us. So they don't. No one's accountable. The, at the cops end of the are day. gonna look like the bad guys up front. The cops are gonna look like the bad guys on the back end, and and then everyone else pays. Yeah. And that is precise. Do you even okay? Do you even want to be a cop anymore? Like no. How, Okay, let's talk about that. Yeah, I mean, 
Here's the thing. What, where Where is your future career now? And why? I mean, I don't really need to ask you why you don't want to be a cop. Or maybe you want to tell me. I mean, it seems obvious. To tell you the truth, being a cop is a hard job. And it's not a very enjoyable job. Mm-hmm. I have always been a very personable person. I run a jiu-jitsu academy. I speak in front of groups of people nightly. And I enjoy being around other people. And as soon as I got into the, the profession, I put that uniform on. People treat you differently. They look at you differently. They're distrustful of you. And it was it would literally eat away at me every single day. Like, and I, I always joke with my guy friends, I'm like, girls don't talk to me at all when I'm in uniform. At all. And it's like, I'm not saying that I'm God's gift to women, but when when I'm in a civilian setting, if I'm in a t-shirt and shorts and I'm getting coffee at Starbucks. I can have friendly conversations with all the girls that work there. Like, that's a normal part of life, right? Mm-hmm. No girl would ever talk to me as in uniform. I get weird looks from guys. And it's weird because people say, oh, girls like guys in uniform. They do. Not police uniforms, at least from my experience. Maybe it's more of a private sort of uniform fetish that <laughs> women might have. But my point is, like, as soon as I put that uniform on, I was treated like a different person. Mm-hmm. And not necessarily a bad person, but just someone that people wanted to be a little hands off with mm-hmm. and that it would start, it would bother me. And I see why, I mean, a career of that of 20 years of people looking at you sideways. You've been like, doing it for 20 years. No, no, no. I'm saying oh. people that do do it for 20 oh. years. Like, on you. you can see how I could wear on people. Mm-hmm. And not only that, now you're, you as an officer, your job is to deal with people in the worst moments of their life, be it a crime that they're caught for, uh, medical emergency, uh, domestic dispute. Like if you're being called, it's because someone's having a problem. So you go from problem to problem to problem all day and you're expected to have solutions to 30 different problems and it's asking a lot of one person. You're expected to wear 20 different hats as a cop. And uh, you know one of the things that's come out of defund the police is like we need to reallocate funds. We need to have healthcare professionals, we need to have psychiatrists, we need to have this, we need to have that. I'm the first one that's like, every fucking cop in America agrees with that. You think we like going to the suicidal subject calls? You think people want to go to drug overdoses? You think cops want to deal with... My first day on patrol, I watched a dude uh, overdose on heroin. And it's like, do you want to have these cops have these expectations of knowing how to deal with 300 different possible scenarios, or do you want to streamline law enforcement and their specific functions and have other resources capable of dealing with those problems? But here's the problem with that. As soon as you send a mental health care professional to a suicidal subject and he ends up sticking a knife into their throat, why weren't the cops there? You need it. You need a lot of different types of specialists there. You know you? what I'm saying? Yeah. And so there, again, there's no clear cut answer because a cop that went through a 16 hour block of like crisis intervention in the police academy 10 years ago is now expected to be able to draw from that and talk a guy off a bridge or talk a guy off of like from killing somebody or just all the things that people do when they go hey while wearing an intimidating uniform <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. that no one wants to talk to you even at a Starbucks that is I can I can see why it, you want to move on and the other thing is, is I'm in the Seattle area so maybe that's why 
maybe if I was a police officer down in Texas or something, it would have a very different feel to it. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I haven't worked down there. You know, when I was in Los Angeles as a law enforcement officer, it was a, a it was not a uniform position. We wore civilian clothes. So that, I never got that side of it, you know? Gotcha. But Los Angeles isn't much different than Seattle, so. So now that uh, you don't want to be a cop anymore, what are your plans going forward with activism or just with your career? Well, like we just mentioned, I have a, uh, when one door closed, another, a lot more opened. And I seized some opportunities that presented themselves in a, a fitness and nutrition company called First Form Fitness reached out to me and wanted to start a partnership. And it's a really cool company, good guys, and just quality supplements. And it was, it was just timing. It was cool how they reached out to me like the next day after my video mm. and uh, started looking into them a little more. And I could just tell it's a good company to be affiliated with. So we're moving forward with that. And then I also launched my own podcast and uh, it's called The Endless Endeavor. And it starts, we're three episodes in, and literally 20 minutes ago, we got, I got a text message from Apple saying we've been approved. So we're going to start putting content out once a week on that. And I already got three sponsors for the show. So I'm actually excited to move into the private sector. Mm. I'm going to have to make my gym and my podcast and being partnered with First Form Fitness, like these things in the private sector will determine if I sink or swim. It's kind of exciting because even though I've been part of the government for since I was 18 years old in some capacity, it's uh, it's just going to be a whole new world, and it's actually kind of refreshing to tell you the truth. You're smiling, I so am smiling it must now. it must be yeah. good. Well, that's great. So it's, it's this is a combination of a new business and activism. Yep, and I'm excited for the podcast because you know a lot of people have reached out to me that are excited for the podcast because they saw the video and the video was rooted in liberty and people's freedoms and that kind of thing. And I'll definitely touch on those topics and have episodes that are geared towards that. But I also think in order to have like a successful show that resonates with people, I mean, people, people's lives are multifaceted. So some days we'll be talking about fitness. Some days we'll be talking about parenting. Some days, like I told you, we did the episode on firearm safety. And then some days we'll be talking about like the political climate and police officers. I just think it'll be a good platform to be able to address a lot of different aspects of life. So it's going to be exciting. Very cool. Well, Greg, thank you so much for coming to my home today and giving us all of your insights and information. We very much appreciate it. And maybe we can talk to you again in the future. Of course. Thanks for having me. It was fun. My pleasure.